tetragrammaton. Here I said, okay, you know, I think let's take a year. And at the same time, it was an adventure to go out and explore creatively a way to make a film with no comfort of my country and my language and all the things, because I was, I could have become a very comfortable artist being in my own ranchito mm. in Mexico. But uh, anyway, so it was different things. Never planned to be so, so many years, but then it happened. Any idea what in your life, in your upbringing, allowed you to have the freedom you have in the way you approach your art? Because you feel completely free. Mm, there's a certain innocence, I guess, because I do not come from academy. Mm -hmm. And none of my family were in the art business, let's say, or the scenery. There, there's no... I'm like the black sheep, let's put it that way. Yeah. And uh, so suddenly I'm like a autodidactic, self-made, savage, uh, naive, if you like, yeah. or innocent kind yeah. of guy that in a way, the only way for me to learn was to explore, make mistakes. And the process of it, in a way, is a natural stage for me to be, you know, basically, trying things and and not thinking uh, rationally with i will say i have learned to get some principles that i learned that you have to have as an artist but not rules that i never learned rules let's put it that way mm -hmm. and i think that liberate me a little bit you know it's amazing it's amazing to see and that's why i feel so uh I feel there's a, I feel sympathetic with you. Like, I feel like uh, mm -hmm. somehow we ended up in this place. I don't really understand how, um, but I, I think I get the feeling both of us feel free to see the world that we see without any conventional anything. Like the, all the convention is out of it. Exactly. I think that, I think actually the, it's kept, we, you know, I have been now a lot into the neuroscience and meditation and things that in the last years. And I think that has had a huge impact in me because at the end, what I have learned is that we create our own reality. Yes, so it's a projection. <laughs> it's all a projection. It's all made up. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. So that has encouraged me to go further and further with no fear of not being, let's put it this way, to have the courage to be disliked. Yes. yes. <laughs> and that but, I found but it liberating. But, it, but you're making something, I imagine, you're making something that you love. Yes. And, and that, uh, that I am absolutely interested to, to say, to feel, to approach, to explore, to solve, and that's the only way I do what I do. I, 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 there is no other reason I could because I think, I, and, and I think it's okay to make, I will say, a film 
by many reasons, right? I, even to get money. If you need money, well, that's that, like a guy who build a table as a carpenter. Mm -hmm. you, you do it because you need a job and it's a craft, it's a craft and, and, and you need to feed your family. And that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. As you know how to make films, that's your craft and you do it. That's right. That's absolutely dignified and honorable. But for me, I think that beyond that, um, I need to have a very profound reason because for me, the exploration is a journey that demands me enormous amount of energy and not necessarily is pleasant all yeah. the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have been learning how to make it more pleasant and, and be a little bit more confident or allow it. And talking about Birdman, the film that you expressed that you have liked, uh, that's one, that was one of the first films that I enjoyed making it, yeah. that I laughed making it. Yeah. You know? I understand you laughed making it. Do you think of it as a comedy? Yes. Yes. I want to laugh about the stupidity that we are, that our lives normally are about, our dramas. You know, every time that we make a drama, it's an ego, it's stupid. It's, we create that, there's no reason. So the drama of this character, which I identify enormously when we make dramas about the narrative of stories that we made in ourselves, um, it's a little ridiculous and pathetic. And, and at the same time, I feel empathy. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying this like, like a detached from that but is to, to learn about, I wanted to explore that from the humor, from the sense of humor, not from the, you know, from the pain. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I'm shocked just because I don't see it as a comedy at all. <laughs> no, I see it as a, I see it as deadly serious. It's funny and ridiculous, but I don't see it as a comedy at all. <laughs> yeah, I think that the, the drama and the, 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 the dilemma of, of Regan Thompson that is called the, the, the character that Michael Keaton play is a very serious thing because he wants to revalidate himself. He wants to feel appreciated. He wants to feel love. He wants to uh, validate himself. And who don't want that? We All what we do, I always said what, what we do, no matter what, is to be loved, uh, to be understood. And, if you, and I think as, as this uh, monk that I like, he said, uh, understand is the other way to say love, is the other, you know, the other word of love. And so he wants to be understood and he, he but obviously looking for it in the wrong place, in the wrong way. <laughs> With the, yeah, so, on the surface. On the surface. Yeah. And uh, committing the same mistake by, by wanting something very profound and very valuable and very needed. Um, he goes to the wrong execution, let's say. <laughs> so that's what makes it funny. But as you said, yeah, it's a very profound wound. And seeing go him go from, he's in this pressure-filled situation and it seems like everything is going wrong in, in making this dream happen. And then on top of that, the ex-wife comes, the pregnancy, the, the, the threat of pregnancy, the daughter, like, like, the combination—it's like from every angle, the the oppressive nature of life is just smothering him. It's it's wild to see. So that's why maybe it's uh, it's funny in how extreme it is, but I felt all of that. It it made me very uneasy. It made in, me. In uh, which part you connect with that? You personally. 
Did you have you felt that things? Of, I mean, if it affect you, it's, it was reflecting or it was projecting something personal. I know how my state of mind is so important to the work that I do. Like if I have a critical listening to do, if I'm in a bad mood or not feeling well, I won't do it. I don't want to bring any personal baggage to my work unless that's what it's about. You know, mm -hmm. if it's about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but from a, to be in an even enough place to really take in what's happening, um, it doesn't always come easy. Sometimes it does, but not always. And I try to live in a way, I spend most of my time in the jungle of either Kauai or Costa Rica and uh, see very few people. I have a, my little family unit. We all stay together. We all travel together wherever we go and um, live a little bit of a monk-like life. You know, never, never do anything social, really. It, it suits my temperament. It suits my temperament. And some of your earlier films, the, the more aggressive ones, I was wary to see. I remember trying to watch 21 Grams because it seemed so interesting to me. And I watched maybe the first 10 minutes back when it came out. And it felt like, I don't think I can watch this. Like, it's too much. It's too much. It's yeah. too much. I felt the same way about early Tarantino movies. It's like, it didn't... It did, and now, both of you are probably my two favorite directors. I would <laughs> say my two favorite directors. Um... And I think it's because you're 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 allowing to go past reality, and it's thrilling to me. I had a I remember when I saw Birdman right when it came out. A lot of people I I I don't watch so many movies. Mm -hmm. Funny because I have a degree in film and television from NYU. I studied film, um, but for some reason I feel like most movies are not for me. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't like uh, mainstream movies. I don't like seeing violence. I don't want to feel bad. And the nature of even if it has a happy ending, the dramatic arc f feels bad. And most of the time, I just don't want to go through that. I don't like going on roller coasters. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't like adrenaline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. like peace. So I, I feel like it's few and far between that a movie speaks to me. And I remember when I saw Birdman, very quickly, it's not the opening shot, but the opening shot of our, of our lead actor, he's uh, levitating. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize he was levitating right away because it's such an ordinary environment. I don't know anything that's going on. It was just a, a strange sensation of, is he levitating? You know, it was more mm -hmm. of a question. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and it's one of the things I wanted to ask about in particular. I remember there's a scene that since the first time I saw it, I wanted to understand it, which is after uh, he floats and flies mm -hmm. and he goes into the theater, there's a taxi driver mm -hmm. who goes in after to say, hey, you didn't pay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so is that telling us everything that we've seen is imagination or does it just open the door of possibility that that's what it is? No, I think I, I, I deliberately... Uh, 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 put that, I planted that seed to really do not make cheap tricks, meaning it's obvious that the guy has been going there with a taxi, but, wow. but he thinks that he got there flying. Yeah. And that's, that's the delusional mind wow. of the ego, right? The wow. ego allows or 
you know, make us believe. Oh, the ego does not like to be in the present moment and the reality. So ego takes us always to the future and what we will achieve, what we will do, what we are missing that, and how we're going to get that. Or to the past, our judgments, who we are, what we did wrong. <laughs> so in a way, this guy is all the time battling, trying to be present and he can't. And that was a hint for me to other people to understand that all these beautiful flying thing that he has this almost, um, and again, I may be betraying what some people felt or thought. It's or, okay. But, but that, it's okay. that for me was a very honest way as a filmmaker to not mislead in a, tr in a, in a again, in a, in a tr cheap trick, but there's planted seeds, but it's good that they are not, are always, I try to execute it, not in your face, but that you are navigating to say, I have been there too. I sometimes have feel things that I feel that are so real that I'm sure that they are real. And maybe they are not, doesn't matter. All our perception and our experience in life is created. And this guy was creating a whole idea of who he was, who yeah. he should be instead of who amazing, he was. You know? Amazing, And I, when I saw it, first time I saw the movie, I was, I questioned it. This time I saw it, I watched it two nights ago uh, again. And I feel like you did it in a way where it's not important at all. Do you know what I'm saying? That 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 the, event? That, yes, that, that event. The, the, the taxi driver coming in, hey, you didn't pay. It, it even the way it's blocked, he could even be talking about someone else. We don't see anyone else. But um, I think I live so far outside of reality that I was almost <laughs> more upset that, at the chance that he was in the cab. Exactly, exactly. But, uh, you know, all the people, and actually, you know, there's, there's actually in that same scene, uh, he said to the car, to the taxi driver, stop the music. Yeah, and, and the music stopped. Yes, I he's, remember. He's talking to me. He's talking to you. He's but we he's don't no, know that I, he's talking to the taxi driver. No, he's talking. He broke the wall. Yes, and he is the owner of your imagination and my imagination. And now we are in his own world, and we belong to that fiction that I create. And yeah. that's the power. We're of We're experiencing es, through his experience. Exactly. We're I, feeling I, his I experience. did that in order that now we are in his own experience. We are flying with him. We are in his own mind, and and that's what, in a way, this was about. Uh, and and I was trying to get layers more profoundly about that. We all have been there in a in a way, and and it's beautiful to be there. Absolutely. In, in some way. <laughs> and. Uh, and, or, or you know when 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 he's going to the stage and there's a drummer playing, yes. if it's if it's there or not, I don't care. It's just how he's feeling, and it's a feeling. And life is how you feel about it. It's not what it is. It's no. what you made about something is what really counts. Yes. So the same experience, the same reality, can be lived completely different by two persons, depending what you make about what music you hear in that moment that you are living. And all the behind the people is asking me, uh, is 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 Emma Thompson looking and he's flying or he die he and I I don't know that answer I yeah. don't know that answer and I don't want to answer because honestly I, I I change my mind depending on what mood I see if you see the movie in some mood maybe it will tell you something or will make you feel that he did something and maybe the next time in ten years you will feel different about <laughs> for the ending I don't have any 
conclusion, you know, even myself, you know. Yeah. The how close how close is the film to the script? It was uh, very close, very close. It took me a lot of time. It took me like for me and uh, Nicolas Giacoboni, Alexander Dinelaris and Armando Bo like four years to really put it together. It was it it became it was shaping every time differently and I have a lot of challenges because it took me like three years to find money to to get it and because the budget uh, I shot the film in 19 days which is crazy crazy and the reason is because obviously I have to really shape it to the possibilities economical possibilities the physical possibilities so the script was changing and changing and as you know I shot with very long takes so there was no many possibilities to change things (laughs) so there was no uh, it was like a long spaghetti I could I could not cut it you know so it has to be very well planned so yeah it was it was very very close to what really was written I, I, I again I couldn't improvise because every shot was pre-planned and and has to be uh, the way it is to 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 stitch it you know what I mean how I think. different can the movie be from the same script does the script tell you one movie or could you make five different movies from that script? you can make 300 movies like if you and I, if you and I have the same script, yes, you, there is no way you and I will do the same movie because it, that movie will reflect who you are. Since the moment that you choose a face, uh, an actor, an actress, when you choose the color of a of a of a, of a shirt or a, or a, a pant, uh, the style of the wardrobe, the the makeup and the hair, the attitude of the character, the pace of it, even. I have a theater teacher that said, uh, you know, uh, a director's life. He always was smoking a pipe. Ludwig Margulis was a Polish guy, a genius. He was saying, a director's life is always depend in three questions. Are the actors sitting? The actors are laying down or the actors are, are, are standing up? That's the question. And if you think about it, it's true. It's like the music is like, what is the key and what is the space and what is the intensity? So, I mean, if you have a scene where two guys are talking and you have one guy washing the plates, looking, you know, giving the back to the camera, watching to the window, and the other guy is just sitting in the table with a long separation, that tells you a lot of things. The, the dramatic tension is immediately, you read what's going on with these two guys. Instead of these two guys standing up in front one to the other, or the two guys sitting in the table, you know, uh, and the distance between them, and if they, or one guy is just in a couch and the other guy is, so what I'm saying, the physical position and the distance, in a way, that tells you so much. Everything. It's like, it's like, it's, so you will direct this and you will say, okay, I want these guys sitting here, and then you will find a kitchen. What kind of kitchen it will be, a wood kitchen and all. What I'm saying is incredible that. There is no way to hide. When you see a film, you see who the person is because all the decisions that are there, every 100,000 decisions that are in one single scene, even when there is no a lot of action, the frame, where you put the camera, the amount of light. The, the, again, the actress or actor that you choose, that who you are, and that show your response to the sensibility and I can hate it yeah. or I can love it and say, oh, I love and I think when the musicians arrive to your studio, in the moment that the guy arrive and give you a chord of the guitar, you said, oh, that's it. And then maybe there's other ones that 
you hear one album, and in th I always said an album in 30 seconds, you know where where you where hands you are in nose. I mean, you know, you, a wine, you don't have to, to drink the bottle. You just sip, and they say, oh, my God. I feel like sometimes you can hear it in the first two notes. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, it's a crazy thing to say. I agree. But For you, it, yes. <laughs> it feels... It feels almost like an energetic reaction. Like I'll hear something and the way it comes in, either I lean forward or I lay, lean back. It's, it's incredible, right? I, I, I agree. I always said to the guys, in the, in the, you know, the, the, the young filmmakers, I said, the most important thing in a film is the first two minutes. And wow. the first two minutes, because in the first two minutes, you know, basically the DNA and the yeah, code of And something. this is for me, or this is not for As, me. In the first two minutes, and that's why the first scene, the first image of anything is so important because it's your presentation, it's your facade, your, you know, if you arrive to a party with the fucking face of you, 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 you don't like nobody, it's, it's, it's just that first impression. It's a lot about, and the music, as you said, two notes. And for you, I know that it's one or two notes you will be identifying and say, okay, this is... Uh, for me, it's maybe 20 seconds. But yeah. yes, I mean, you, you hear something and you say, oh, my God. You feel something. Something. And it's not the notes. <laughs> it's something else. It's something else, right? What yeah. is that? I, I think, don't know. Nobody will know. I think our brains, I have a... I don't think we can know. I have a big discussion the other day. I, there is this guy that is called Blaise Aguera, which is basically the guy who is in the artificial intelligence in Google, one of the most smartest guys that I have met. And there was a talk with Lawrence Weschler and him about the AI, which I'm fascinating. And I'm very saying where the fucking art is going now with all these Dali and all these applications and in music now. I mean, there's going to be a lot of AI music. I don't know what you think about it or what you have been thinking about it. If it will be a good tool, if it will be a good collaborator, if it will be a disruptor or all the above. But, uh, but the brain that these guys now are basically all the psychology all the medicines for psychiatric and mental health issues are designed based on the way a computer works so there's a great article that uh, a great neuroscientist said guys fucking brain does not work like computers so, i mean every in every generation when when the hydraulic thing was the big thing they thought that the brain was like hydraulical similar in the industrial thing they thought that our brain was kind of mechanical now it's kind of a digital thing but this guy was saying guys our brain does not storage data we don't storage nothing the fucking computer is storage data tons of data memory and then binary kind of uh, relations between one and zero, and then they arrive to that. But it's about that. Our brain does not have nothing about that. No. If you open the brain of Mozart or Beethoven, you will never find music or any trauma that you have. You will never find it. There is unexistent. Nobody knows where the relation between an experience and a sensation is it is in the body, in the brain, the nervous system, and that sensation that repeat a trauma or an experience that triggers that or vice versa is a fucking mystery. And this guy said that it will take maybe one, 100 years to start to understand where is that? Where is that emotional thing that what we were talking about? Where is that? Like what make that note hits you in a place and that is a, the Beatles. Why the Beatles did what they did and why that music is so fucking... 
and why, why it speaks to everybody or 90%. What is that? They were not kind of academic musician. They, what, they, what, they, what happened? When I was seeing you talking with Paul McCartney, uh, the, 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 the way Paul McCartney drive himself with such a simplicity and he, this is my perception from seeing your, your, your show, that he do not consider himself a genius in a way. I mean, he just kind of... He's just doing it. Exactly. He's just doing what he does. Yeah. So, I mean, even he, he make me feel as if he actually is not actually giving credit or he actually does not write how big they are. So, I mean, he knows, but... There's something very liberating. He knows, here. but he knows he doesn't know how. You know, mm -hmm. I don't. I don't think he could feel like if anyone could take credit for it, he could, and I don't think that he feels like he can because it's bigger than him. And do you think that the generations, for example, of I mean, talking about like how these musicians, in a way, come to that, or a film that's only start, and you say wh where that come from? And, and this process of thought, because nobody of us, I think, can plan it. Or, I mean, you cannot control that. There is no formula. There is no nothing. Because, I mean, it's just come from some place. But these musicians today, do you think that differently from the musicians that you work at that time in the 80s, or now that you have all these friends, like from the Beatles to in the 60s and all that, the difference of this consciousness or self-consciousness that these musicians are now exposed to so much millions of social media and they are their own entrepreneur and all that. Do you think that has changed the way of creating or not necessarily? I would say technology has definitely changed it. So in so many young artists don't play a physical instrument anymore. They're programmers. Mm. And the difference between the virtual version and the physical version in the room seem to be different to me. I'm not even saying one's better than the other. I love craft work. They use machines. You know, it's, it's uh, when I hear craft work, I'm hearing their point of view. And with all the musicians that I love, I'm hearing their point of view. And I don't think AI has a point of view. Mm -hmm. Like you said, if you had the same script, you could make 500 different movies I don't think that AI can do that. I, he I heard something on a, um, on a business podcast, it was very interesting, saying if all of the AIs that are, com the different AI companies that are competing with, with each other start with the same database, which is basically everything that's every, on the every, web. Exactly. As they get better and better, when you ask any one of them a question, they'll all spit out the same answer. That's not true in art. Mm. I have a friend, uh, Bennett Miller, uh, as a director, which is great. He did uh, Capote and Foxcatcher. He's an amazing director. And then he has just spent almost a year in, in his home with a program that is called Dali. And he started guiding this AI machine, which translate words in images. And you said, I want a cat in a in a in a Catholic church in the medieval time with a pinky sky and a woman crying with a red coat uh, in the Vermeer style. <laughs> and the fucking thing in 30 seconds give you something like that, okay? So it's kind of impressive, at the same time very basic in the beginning, but then he starts trying to, to crack the code and understand how to get it a little bit more elaborate and more in any way. 
and now he's doing an exhibition in the next two weeks. I want to try to jump in in New York with the Gagosian uh, Gallery because he did these fucking prints that is like all daguerreotypes with depth of field wow. of an incredible girl of nine years and it's ghostly and it's dress. And imagine that you are seeing a picture from 1894 in Boston, Carlos. I mean, like, or in a river with an indigenous people with a hat and some kind of ghost coming. I mean, but it's, it's literally the texture, the depth, the definition is a daguerreotype kind of thing and, and, and big format. I mean, big format. And it's, artificial intelligence created. You see the eyes of these people and you swear they exist. These people did not exist ever, but you feel a melancholy and you feel something happen and it's the memory of something that never exists, Gabon. And it's so fascinating for me to say, and I asked him how you, how you work. It's not that you said, oh, I want a daguerreotype with a nostalgic, you know. He spent six months, kind of the computers that you have to be guiding, editing, stripping out, putting in, and I always said, well, all the synthesizers and all the fucking machines that we count now, they are guided machines, but you need a point of view and you need an artist to be feeding that and the, your taste, your sensibility and what is in there and what is not. So he spent that months and you see that work. So nobody will be able to do exactly what he do. So that's why I'm saying, and in the music, I don't know exactly what's going on. I'm curious to but see But if it will be a good goes. collaborator who said, give me a beat like James Brown in the 63 song tall with a little Marvin Gaye beat, Cinco Power. <laughs> and maybe it will be a piece of shit, most sure, but probably by guiding it little by little and said, you add a fucking Fifth Symphony, Mozart, uh, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know if that will be a valid or fucking outrageous thing or not, but I think it's here to stay and it will never be the same in the world. It's going to be this guy. I'm curious to see how it unfolds. I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I know enough. I, I No, I agree. Me, me neither. But what this guy told me, Blaze, he told me, Alejandro, in less than seven years, the world as you know it, it does not exist. Wow. The whole thing. Wow. But I think it's always that way, No. A new technology comes. But not at the speed that we are living, because before there was one technology that changed maybe every 100 years. Mm -hmm. Now, you and I have lived in the radio, TV, cell phones, computer, artificial intelligence. Look, in our lifetime, we have changed the world three times. We have seen three times the world change. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to keep speeding up. And our kids, your kid, six-year-old, he will, the world, I mean, the cell phones for him in seven years will be like that. You remember the bricks? <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, so it will be embedded in us. Uh, uh, and, and those changes were much more, and the impact and the democratic they are now. So according to this guy, this AI thing, um, it's going to be something that will really uh, change forever. The thing that maybe, maybe you and I will, will, we see. will see. We see. Who were the filmmakers that you saw over the course of your life that gave you the permission to do this? I think that the great masters that has, in a way, show us that cinema, it's too uh, a road to explore yourself uh, deeply and share it. 
which I think is actually subscribed. I mean, it's in the essence of even the first cavemen that put their hand full of blood and or paint and they leave their hands there as a testament of her existence and try to project themselves in some way or in the painting is a tradition that you know the painters do an auto painter uh, how you call it out self-portrait self-portrait or a memoir or a journal uh, any any self-reflection that invites you to not only observe exteriorly the world as, as I have done in all my films, but suddenly there's a moment that you need to go inside and allow yourself to do that. It needs a time and it needs it's a moment in life, which I found it at this moment. But the teachers, I think, that were the masters that has, has showed the way to do it, I think was uh, 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 Alejandro Jodorowsky, for example, that he really goes deep in the unconsciousness, I think. Um, I think it's uh, Tarkovsky. I think it's another uh, great director that everything that you see, it belongs to in a, a, an interior reflection of a soul, a point. There, there is no, nothing more than something clearly interior. Um, obviously, Federico Fellini its another one that he was capable to laugh about himself and about all his interior demons and contradictions. So just to name, uh, I will say a few, uh, well, I will say that another master of that is Luis Buñuel, yes. for example. So Luis Buñuel, for example, is one of my favorite directors. And I think Luis Buñuel always was going through this very deep understanding of first what a kind of an X-ray of yourself in order to project what you perceive and what you are building in reality. So that ability to do that, I think those are, I would say, some of the masters that I Yeah, that I, I think. remember when I first saw Bunuel in film school, I took a, a Bunuel class, so mm -hmm. I saw all the, all the Bunuel films, and I remember feeling broken open. Like, I felt, feel like this is a new, this is a doorway to what's possible. And when I say that, it's not like we can make things like what he made. Mm -hmm. He's giving us permission exactly. to go further than we have seen before. Exactly. I think that there has been many examples, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, this Polish director has, what was it has, has amazing films that are so profound psychologically, or A Man with a Camera, these Russian films that, mm -hmm. you know, is just an exploration of what you are seeing and how it's impactful. So what I'm saying, the history of cinema is full of these, uh, you know, and I will say Truffaut too, in a way Truffaut always is playing with his own mind and exercising and exploring ideas in cinema, which, you know, uh, is, is, is very intellectual, but at the same time is deep in, in their mind. I think Bergman too, and, in, and, in, a, uh, in a different way, in, in a, a different still way. way. But absolutely, I think in persona, you know, persona means in Latin, uh, uh, mascara, mm -hmm. a fashe, mask. a mask. That's, that's the, 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 the word person, a person or persona is a mask. So suddenly to allow yourself to take out your mask and, because we have this public figure. You are a public figure. You have a public persona. I have a public persona. I'm a persona to everybody. I have a mask. But 
then we have this intimate private space that we build our life in and, and suddenly to take out that. That's what I attempt to explore in, 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 in Barado. You know, I, I try to say, okay, whatever you think, this is what really is going inside. And it's a yeah. vulnerable place. Yeah, yeah. It's a fragile place. Yeah. It's a scary one. Uh, and it takes time to, to really go and try to be the, the, the possible honest, uh, the, the best way and honest way for you to do that. But it's a, I found it incredibly liberating and a privilege and a pleasure to really just go there and take out the mask. <laughs> yes. How, how is the alignment between your inner self and your outer self? I think depending who I am, I think I have uh, a way, um, some uh, mechanisms that are triggered by different circumstances where I can immediately find myself repeating or playing things in a way that every time I have been closer to be conscious about things that I don't like that I do or I say or you know that it's not correct it's not me as I should be or I would love to be and that's what I think conscious in a way meditation give you that's only you observe yourself you are a little bit separated but I think yes I think I play I'm a different person sometimes if I am in a, in a set, for example, when I'm directing a film, I become so focused and so isolated that I need to, the, all, the process of making something like that, it demands you all your focus and your attention and suddenly I'm a little detached of the reality. So I, that person is not me now, yeah. which I'm completely, you know, fully, con you know, here or in a public event where you have 2000 people, you know, listening or a social party. So yes, I think in a way we mm -hmm. all have different persons. Based on the condition. I, I, I love this. Uh, I think uh, it was Orson Welles uh, that I, I, he said something very, very uh, wise and funny that says everything that has been said about me at some point is true. That's great. <laughs> in a way that, yeah, yeah, this guy is an asshole. Yes, that Tuesday at yes. 6 a.m., I was maybe an asshole. Oh, this guy is so wonderful and generous. Yes, that Saturday, I give a big tip to that guy and I was in a good mood. And I, you know, what I'm saying is the perception of our persona is so fractured and fragmented depending in which day and who experienced and where you were you that it's almost impossible to to not have probably this kind of multi-fractured thing. Am I right? Or no, absolutely, absolutely. It, it's just the nature. I, I always made it a point when I would meet an artist, let's say an artist was uh, on tour um, and they were, I can remember the one not long ago where the artist was playing at Hollywood Bowl and they asked me to come backstage after the show to meet with them, and I refused. And, and I really want to meet with them. But imagine your state of mind after coming off stage with 20,000 people screaming, how grounded will the conversation be? How present can the person be? And, and I want to see who they really are, not who they are right after 20,000 people, because it's a completely unrealistic uh it's an unrealistic situation to be in for anybody being in front of 20,000 people. 
and, and 20,000 people listening to you and cheering for you. It's funny that you mentioned that because one of my, I'm a super fan of Tom York, right? And I was, was, uh, I was here in a concert in, in LA like three, four years ago. And, uh, and uh, I think it was Paul Thomas Anderson who, was, who invited me to go to the backstage um, to meet him. And obviously I would love to meet Tom York, but exactly because the same reason you have just said, I rejected the idea. Yeah, and my right son time. was with me, my son is a musician. And he said, dad, I said, I don't want to meet him in this circumstance because I know how he feels in a way. I'm not a rock concert, but I know that when you have a public event, your mind is rambling. You're not yourself. You are not You're yourself. Not yourself. It's funny. And, and then I regret, and I, but then listen to you, I said, I, I felt it. I know that people is not in their minds. Uh, so yeah. that's why you said how aligned. In, in my head. case, it wasn't a rule. I just, the first time that it happens, like it was a feeling just, this doesn't feel right. I know this person isn't going to be themselves. And I want, and I really want to see who they are. And this is a, a chance to, uh, this would undermine that. How, how, what kind of circumstances make you uh, feel that you are not in that state? So, I mean, have you had this, I mean, in, is, is it the, in a concert or different artists or different environments make you feel that you are not, regrooving as you would like to be or the one that you want to be, and and that give you kind of a different persona i would say if i went out to dinner with more than four people i would not be comfortable mm. i feel like i couldn't be myself i can remember going to a dinner with maybe 20 people with a friend that they were invited to and they invited me to come and i remember uh sitting at the table and i ended up hurting my back at the dinner because i was trying to shrink myself to become invisible <laughs> because I was so uncomfortable, uncomfortable with that many people. And his nervousness or what? How, what I don't do you know. Feel? I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, it's just like you feel it. fragmented. Because I feel like when I'm with someone, when I'm talking to you, we're, we're connected to each other. And I feel like what you're saying and what I'm saying are directly related to the fact that we're here together. Yeah. And when there's 20 people, it's, it, you don't have that feeling. You don't have that sense of connection. And I, I love that. Um, and, and I'll say also, even in a one-on-one -on -one situation, until there's a sense of some thread of common ground on anything, it's really awkward for me. Mm -hmm. Just because I feel crazy. You know, I feel like I don't relate to how Too people many relate people, to yeah. the world. I, I, I completely understand. I, I becoming that way too. I think that these <laughs> dinners, no, these, these dinners of more than eight, eight people for me is kind yeah. of the maximum. And now, as you said, four is perfect. I can handle four, yeah. six people, yeah. like two couples more. My wife and I, two couples, that's more than enough. So yes. I mean, now to, to enjoy it yes. and to get something about it, to grow, to whatever, to get, to get like the Not sensation. Not waste time. Exactly. And you know, maybe it's the age because I, I, now I, I need to understand that I don't need to spend time with people that I don't, uh, that I don't want to spend time with. Absolutely. <laughs> Same here. And I think we're both, uh, 1963 people. Yes. Yeah. You, 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 which, which one? I'm in March. Which day? March 10th. So Friday. Wow. Yeah. 60. Yeah. Wow. And what's interesting. How about you feel? It, How you feel? Fine. 
but no, no, no thoughts, no like, oh, holy shit. I usually don't think about numbers, so when you say it, it's like, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> but I, I don't think in the, in those terms. I, I, I have never been hit by any decade, you know, the 30s, 40s, 50s. This is the first time, and maybe because many things has been aligned with this in a funny way, you know, I have just finished a movie, and it's a very personal movie, and the, the classic baby blues that when you finish something, you know, there's a space that is yes. left and that yes. space has to be filled. So I have been here many times, but anyway, there's a space and I'm trying to understand again who I am after a movie that I was so busy mentally and physically and now it's this ordinary time. Okay, let me reorder, let me find myself again who I am. It's very strange. <laughs> it's ha strange... It's happened to you? When... Absolutely, absolutely. I start producing my life, like when I, if I'm not creatively producing in the studio, I get home and start moving the furniture around. I'm, I'm very, uh, I need to keep myself occupied. So in a way you never have emptiness. I do because sometimes everything sort of finishes, but for the most part, I like the idea that there are many balls in the air. Cause the fun, for me, the fun part is like solving the problem of it. Cracking the code of making something new is so exciting. I love it. And it could be, with an artist it could be with my favorite artist it could be with an artist that i don't listen to but hearing what they want what they're hoping to accomplish and listening to it and listening to what's going on inside of myself and helping them find the best version of themselves and it's really fun that's fantastic that's fantastic and uh and i think that well talking about age that i was telling you about that is the first time for me it's different because i have uh a, a, a kind of a, a process where differently from yours, uh, so differently from yours, I suddenly find myself um, inside a, a project where I cannot leave. I can. I, I need to, to 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 work twenty four hours, days and years in obsessively, obsessively, yeah. which sometimes can turn wrong or right i'm you know it can be either way but not necessarily it's a pleasant one you no, know understood and, and 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 now hearing you in a way but i'm not saying it's right no no, no, no i'm it, saying it's right for me exactly but and i would say whatever you're doing do it <laughs> it's, no, it's working <laughs> no i think it's work that's what i'm saying it sometimes can be right or wrong a film can be better or not yeah. or people can like it or not the results honestly is something that you don't control. So Absolutely. I try to avoid thinking about Same. it, honestly. Same. So I mean, I hate when people say, no, we, I, honestly. It doesn't people, matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And especially doesn't matter because even if it matters, you cannot do nothing. Exactly. <laughs> right? like accepting that you have no control gives you the confidence to make the thing you want to make. Exactly. So anyway, I, I but the, the right or wrong is not about that, is that I find myself obsessively with one thing to make it, let's say, perfect, which doesn't exist. And then when it finishes, there's a big void, yes. you know, as big as the project. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's where I am now. And uh, so that's why the 60s with that, and then my son, Eliseo, has just go to London. He, he's doing wow. music, by the way. And now is the empty nest uh, kind yeah. of moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? so, I'm surprised you didn't do music instead of film. Envy you guys so much because it's like, yeah. So, I mean, musicians, I always say, you are flying and we are crawling in our fogging cameras. But 
my, my big joy in life is hear music. Because, I mean, there's nothing more I can enjoy more in my life. I mean, it takes me away. I close my eyes and I'm in the music. I love it. The thing is that uh, you always said this, it hits you and you don't have to intellectualize. It's, and the body doesn't lie. So when the frequencies hit your ear and your body, it, there's, it, you are there, it's presence and there's no lie, no intellectualization. And it's, it's, it's just such a, again, it's because you don't think. And that's what I think is the reality. The, the, it's un, the unconscious is trigger and memories and all that is. And I think that uh, the, the, the joy of music is, I think compared to the cinema, is, is nothing. Coming. But I feel that in your, in your work, it feels like it's images, but it's music. It's not, you're not telling us too much. You're not telling us what to think. You're inviting us to participate in this experience. That's how I, I feel it. And I, I think the, the, the way I approach films musically is, is, is very musical because I always, when I'm writing a film, I'm listening to the same album over and over again. So I need to understand how a film sounds and what is that kind of a genre. If it's like a, Amores Perros, my first film was like a, like sticky fingers rolling, it was like greedy and raw. And, and does, rock does and the roll. score end up being similar to the music, or not necessarily? Not necessarily. It's just the texture of some particular album end up being kind of something that I need to understand. For you know, like it goes with that. It goes like with it goes, the, whether that's the music used it, or not. No, exactly, matter. it's not the music that I would use, or even the score. It's just I need to understand that the skin, the texture of that in the. Musically and rhythmically, and then because I think when we born, the first thing, the first thing we hear when we born is a beat, right? It's our heartbeat. Is is the fucking drum beat? That's the first thing we yeah, come to our, life. Probably our mom's heartbeat uh, first. Exactly, exactly. Then ours. So now you have a fucking a drum beat now in synchronized or in harmony or not. And then the last thing we end up hearing in our bed, if we are lucky enough to die a peaceful death, is the last drum is when we go. And so our life is defined by a beat or a drum beat or a heartbeat and a rhythm. And, and I think that has to do a lot with the way we conceive things. So I try always to understand what is that heartbeat or what is that drum beat that will define the rhythm of that? Because rhythm is God. I mean, without rhythm there's nothing there's no architecture there's no universe there's no nothing so yes i try that birdman was like a thing that i need to find and i invite uh 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 uh, uh you know uh, uh, uh my friend antonio to play the drums and we he 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 played it and i have all these tracks and even i played did he play watching the movie or no no he played first i i i asked him to say you know antonio antonio sanchez i said let's let's go to the studio so we went to a studio in new york and i was kind of reading this thing and say okay this is a moment that script he comes, is done the script is done so and i kind of knew because again i have a good musical ideas and i have a good ear but i'm a terrible player <laughs> And uh, so I knew exactly kind of the things that I wanted in terms of, let's say, bits or rhythm or, or uh, you know, uh, speed. So I was describing him. You know, this is a scene that he will arrive and his the daughter is there and they start discussing, so it has to be gross. So he, he was like, okay, what about this? 
okay, syncopa, or, you know, let's go a little bit more funky or a little bit more jazzy. So he was incredibly, he's an incredible, incredible drummer. And he was, a, so we were doing tracks and I was just imagining how the actor will be and how the camera will be moving behind because it was continuous movement, continuous rhythm. And those tracks were incredible. It was the bluff of the of the film uh, movement and Did design. Did you listen to it on the set when you were yes. filming? Sometimes uh, when wow. I needed, I said to the actors, to Edward North or these guys, okay, look at this. This is going to be here. So it's like, <laughs> you know, so it was helpful for them to understand yeah. the pace yeah. and for the camera. And that's what I'm saying. So that film was very, very musical. Had there ever been a film before with just a drum score? Not that I know, not that I know, maybe yes, you know, you film it's it so radical. <laughs> yeah. It's so radical. But it's so and it's loud. But you know what you know, I remember that the Academy members of the the, 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 the you know the Oscars and the Academy members, they did not consider that was a score. And I said, guys, so you are telling me that drums are minor than a guitar or a piano? This is a fucking instrument and it's, 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 it it has so, but it was funny that they considered that like, okay, it's drums, it's not a symphony or whatever. Well, in the old days of hip-hop music, when I started doing hip-hop music, the powers that be didn't acknowledge it as music. The hip-hop? Yeah. So they thought, oh, this is just beats. They don't even know what it is. It's like, what? <laughs> why do people like it? It's not music. That was the conversation. <laughs> Well, that was in the 70s. Now we are in the 2020s, and it's, so it was the same kind of like, uh, yeah. Just the I mean. arrogance, the, sm the, the, the small-mindedness of thinking they knew what music was. And, and, and the same, I remember, you know, there's an anecdote of Gustavo Santolaya, which is my friend, and he did the music for, for the first four films of mine. And, and out, Gustavo doesn't read music. He's out to the didactic, but he's one of the best musicians because wherever he played the finger in, in a ronroco, in a guitar or whatever, he composed, he's just beautiful and spacey and musical. Yeah. But, but he's not an academic. Yes, you know? beautiful. And there was this kind of ooth that he played in Babel. And it was a couple of notes. Like, dun, 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 dun. And again, the guys struggled so much to accept his nomination yeah. because it was like how this guy is not a musician, there is no score, there is no violins, there is no orchestra. So it was like if it was a minor expression, when I said it's not about the amount of instruments and if a horn or a violin is superior to a drum. So I mean, you know what I mean? Again, yeah. this this is exclusion or, or you know, perceptions of... One of the things that you said earlier, Gustavo's helping me on my project now. No. Yes. Whoa, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's amazing, he's right? Amazing. I mean, he's incredible. Amazing. But he told me, I will not say the name, one of the most, you know, he said that he was so excited to arrive to this dinner of the Academy Awards. And he saw one of these very venerated musicians, old guy with all the awards in the world, and he didn't even give the hand to him. He was like, oh, I love your work. And the guy didn't give the hand to him, like saying, you are not a musician. Wow. And I said, wow, you know, that's... that's so sad. It's, it's sad. So it's sad. And funny. For, for, sad for them, not for him. <laughs> not, not for Gustavo. For Gustavo, it's funny. Exactly. But sad for the person who refuses to shake somebody's hand. Exactly. But, but, but I feel that, uh, you know, every instrument, right, is so powerful. Again, I, like that discussion of Thich Nhat Hanh and... 
and the and the Nobel Prize uh, of Korean that about the dignity or uh, the consciousness of a plant or a human. Why a human is bigger than a tiger or something? Yeah. <laughs> something is ridiculous, you know. It's ridiculous, that, right? <laughs> absolutely. So you mentioned earlier that you made Birdman in 19 days. Now looking back, if you had all the money in the world and forever to shoot it, would it be a better film? No. I think the restrictions that I had were so important. Also, I mean, I have to say that the script, it started getting tighter and tighter because of the need. Yeah. And I started getting out all what it was not absolutely necessary. There is a moment that is dangerous. I, I remember that there was kind of a, 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 a moment that the, 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 even with a very restrictive budget and the, the film got to a place that it, it was what it is now, but there was like $1 million that was out of budget. And I remember one executive of the studio told me, Alejandro, what about if you take out the flying scene, for example? So then you will save that. And I said, oh, fucking God, this is what it's about. <laughs> so just for you to understand that if you don't know what the film is about, or if you're a director that is, you are vulnerable, or you don't understand rightly what, where are the fights to be fight, to yes. do that you have to fight, it can be destroyed. I mean, it can be destroyed. Yeah. So the limits of what is necessarily it's is delicate because you can sometimes strip as long out as, something. as long as you know what it is. Exactly. But yeah. it was laughable for me to say to to this uh, person, you know, you, you don't understand what the film. So by saving one million, that film will be destroyed. Will not exist. So, but at the end, I have to recognize that um, yes, I I think restrictions creatively are very healthy i really learned a big lesson there because to have all the freedom and all the money normally i will say something in the renaissance where all these renaissance painters were there they have patrons mm -hmm. which was unfortunately the church that was they were just painting church things mm -hmm. i will have loved to see all these guys painting ordinary life at that time but they didn't but the restrictions and the timing and the budgets were very constrained. They were kind of, they were in a way employees yeah. with tight. Fuck. Uh, yeah. And, and, and they flew and, and they, they were restricted as hell with limits and things, not yeah. necessarily smart uh, sometimes, but that made them, and they recognized them. They, they, they could not conceive to be free and with all the budget and it's about me. No, they were doing things for goth. Yes. And, you know, they, yes. they were not important. Yes. And they were restricted, restricted and look what they did. <laughs> Amazing. So I think, I think every artist needs a little bit of that. And for I sure. guess that you as a producer, you do that with musicians, right? Absolutely. I mean, you, you have to restrict sometimes. Absolutely. I, I believe less is more. You know, I like the least amount of information to get an idea across usually sounds the best and carries the most emotion. Mm. If you have one guitar, if you have Gustavo playing his guitar, that's got an emotion in what he plays, the simplest thing. Exactly. If you have 20 people playing guitar together in unison, it's like a wall of sound. There's no, pr it's the part, you may understand the part better from that, but you don't, have the feeling of the connection to the music you don't hear the fingers you don't hear the personality of the player it's just the melody i agree it's one of the things we do in the recording studio in um like it's not uncommon in a chorus to double the lead vocal and what happens when you double the lead vocal it reinforces the melody and 
it sometimes can make the words seem less important. Mm. It's like a, it's a balance. I agree. I agree with you. And what you are saying is funny because I've seen so many great musicians that start with the first or second album are now really in this space where it's about their voices, the lyrics, the that, the needed thing. And then they start being produced, wrongly produced and overproduced. And that's the tragedy. So, I mean, how many, no, I mean, have seen so many people overproduce that yeah. it's only, it's about everything, but about, and, and that happens a lot. Absolutely. And now technology has changed where when I first started, there was 24 track recording. So you couldn't have more than 24 tracks of music unless you had two big machines, exactly. which not a lot of people had. And then you were limited to 48. And, um, and in one of the studios I worked at, we only had 16 tracks. And some studios, we would take the 16-track machine and put an 8-track head on it because you only had 8, but they sounded better than the 16 because it's like uh, going up in resolution in your film. Exactly. You know, you have more... Exactly. You're using a bigger footprint of the information. Um, I remember I, I would sometimes print the same track when I had 24 tracks on my first recordings, I might put this, the kick drum on six of the 24 tracks, even though it's just the same kick drum. But sometimes when you mix them together, you could get it to sound more powerful. Um, but it was always just like trial and error, try to find what makes it sound louder, what makes it sound more original, what makes it sound crazier. And what is scary now for me too in the music that I hear a lot is that everybody's sounding the same, don't yeah. you think? Because I mean, they use the same software. And it's, uh, so now when I, to finish the point about how many tracks you have now with Pro Tools, you have infinite tracks. Infinite. So there's no reason to think in terms of conserving because it's free. I could just do another one. I could just do another one. I could just add more. I could add more. And then you start having hundreds of tracks. And fixing it and editing. And then it lost the, the whole thing. Yeah. All the humanity goes out of it. That's And in the film industry, for example, in, in ourself, I, I used to edit still like in, 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 in tracks. And to edit was a very difficult thing. Now, obviously, with, with, with the technology and the... <laughs> It, it, the Avid, again, give you 1,000 possibilities in one second. Or color correction, for example. I will put you the classics. You arrive to do the color correction of a scene and, and you can really, the contrast, the highlights, the bluest, the pale, the tint, and you can easily fuck it up the whole thing. So, I mean, by, by doing it, uh, if you spend too much time, then, then you get lost and yeah. the eye get lost and yeah. then you don't know anywhere where you are. And then you arrive the next day and said, am I an idiot? What I want? So, I mean, it's so easy to get into a truck. So, I mean, what I'm saying is having all the freedom and all the choices, I think is the most difficult thing, much more Absolutely. difficult than to have the restrictions and print. I will say this, I, I always said this to the young filmmaker, said, you have to have a principle, not rules. I hate rules because rules seems like restriction. But... For example, the principle of Birdman was very clear. It was is one take, and the restrictions were very clear. So there was no way to get out of those principles. I cannot, and that principle saved my ass because then I had to solve things in this principle, and it's fun. It's like the rules of the game. If there's no rule, then there's no game. Yeah. So that that principle of a game, it's and and I see now a lot of. 
I will say, uh, albums or films that without that, uh, not a lot of budget or not a lot they of don't, art. They don't have a point of view. Exactly. It's just like a smorgasbord. That's the thing. And and I what I see in the music is like what you were saying about the voices. Like there's great singers, and but they just sound the same and 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 uh, and the and the you know I remember in the time of the D7 you remember the Yamaha D7 or mm -hmm. all all the things that were in the in the but now every singer sound like I said can they feel that they 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 sound exactly the same as the other person that some of them want to some of them think oh that's what works that's ah. what some of them really so like oh yeah this is this is the sometimes sometimes like this is the sound this mm. is the sound now and I've always been like, <laughs> I always feel like that's the sound now. That's the last thing I exactly, want to do. Exactly, exactly. Can you imagine that all these young guys will be trying to find their own sound? It will be amazing. And that's what I found sometimes when I feel or hear some fearless musicians. Uh, uh, in the London scene, for example, there's these jazz guys that are trying a lot of things that are like these cats that are like saying, wow, these guys are sounding now with kind of a mix of the old jazz with maybe old microphones, but with a little synth that is now super cool. You know, that's where suddenly I found incredible combinations, but it's hard to find. What are they called? The Comets? Is that the name of the group? Something no, kind of? no, no. Is that the one? No, no, no. No, no. I, no, I, 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 I can't I, remember the name. There's a, there's, a, there's a jazz group now that's like, it's more like a collective. I can't remember their name, but there's the collective and then there's all the offshoots but they're like the happening jazz guys in London now. It's supposed to be incredible. <laughs> that, that's, I think that's, it, there, there, there's a freedom, but they don't care about, you know, the Grammys and the, you know, all that, all that thing. You know what I mean? I think that's, that's the triety now about how many likes you have or how many followers and all that shit. But I think there's a lot of things happening. I have to say. How, how surprised are you um, in the success you've had? I will say that uh, it the, the first thing that I felt when I did Amores Perros was super surprising because I never expect that film will be will be as successful as it was. It was a dogfight film with a crash and it was very in Spanish and no stars and and uh, actually it was a film that was rejected in the Cannes Film Festival competition and and they said it's too long it was 3 hours long and it's too violent and nobody wants to see it <laughs> and then we end up in this kind of other sm smaller kind of venue in Cannes and we won that was the best again the best thing that could happen was that we were not accepted in the in the official competition and then in the Semana de la Critic, which is not even an official kind of section, we were accepted, we won. And then from there, we, we start kind of really, really having a lot of success in every festival. We won the awards. Like Amazing. we won like 160 awards in the world. I mean, it was kind of a crazy. And honestly, and I tell you this seriously, I not only did not expect it, but actually when I was receiving praise or I felt that, Journalist wants to interview me and all that. I have kind of a section in the New York Times magazine inside that was like a big deal. Naively, innocently, innocently, I thought that, you know, most of the directors, because at that time, again, there was no many films being produced as now. I thought, you know, Everybody will have a share of a little fame, and I'm just going into a normal yeah, you're 15 tour. Fifteen minutes, yeah, exactly. Which I said I think will be kind of normal that you get interviewed by this magazine or that you get a good review. I said, 
well, it, it, for me, it was kind of a normal, not normal, but I didn't expect that it can go absolutely wrong and it could be completely different. Yeah, and, and it could have, and the next one could have. Like, could have. Every time can be bad, and I have had bad experience, but in a way, I was naively taken by surprise, and I'm glad. And I, my father, and you will see this scene in, uh, in, in Bardo, my father had a very, very particular relation with success uh, uh, because he never had success. And at the same time, his theory, which was very well-intentioned, not, I don't know, the execution, but when my father saw somebody doing something right or good or excellent, he never praised you, never. And the reason was that he said that when you praise somebody, um, you will hurt him and you will, in a way, help him to believe or be self-conscious mm -hmm. and then he will start not doing that and, and you will damage. So, for example, I have a, a niece, uh, uh, a nephew that was incredible in football. He was like eight years old and he was a fucking rock star. And my father loved football. He never said to him something nice. I said, why? And then he told me this story. So my father never praised me about nothing ever. He was very kind and nice, yeah. but he was never, he deliberately did that. Yeah. And, at and the he same, thought he was protecting you. Protecting like. me. And at the same time, in the Catholic thing, to be successful, and especially in Hollywood, <laughs> is an open door to lose your soul. And it's almost like a pride scene. So I, people that are successful can lose their own minds. First of all, you can lose success. So it's a possible way to lose something. Or you can lose your soul because then you will have a lot of pride and then you will be tempted by a lot of things that are wrong. So in my upbringing and my conception, have success was very contradictory because it was something that you want to have, you wish, you, you would like to be appreciated, you would like to be successful of every normal human being. But once you have it, you have to feel fear to lose it, fear to be tempted, fear to, to all those restrictions and guilt. So I navigate that. And my father had a line that always repeated, uh, that is in Bardo, that says, um, remember that to success, uh, he said it in Spanish, so I will do my best translation. Remember, to success, give it a sip. You know, taste it, give it a sip, do do the <laughs> gargle. gargle, and then spit it. Because yeah. if not, it will poison you. Yes. So my father always, I mean, he was obsessed with wow. it. Wow. And my father said that the worst thing that he see in human beings is when they were successful. There was a football player that was very successful that went to Spain and he won like five, blah, blah. And he, he always spoke in third person of himself. And my father said, when somebody starts speaking in third person, they lose their mind. You never want to be that. Anyway, so in a way, my father despised so much success that he impregnated me always a fear and a double, I always was, I will say, conscious of never believing. So if you ask me, I will say, the first success that I have took me by surprise because ignorance and uh, naiveness or innocence. And then as I have been sometimes su more successful, I'm, you know, uh, I always remember that. I, I try to really put my feet on the ground and never, I have never I believed feel it. it. I, 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 I have the imposter syndrome, let yeah. me put it that way. Yes, yes, yes. I believe it. <laughs> I have you had the imposter syndrome? 
I don't know if I've had imposter syndrome, but I'm always surprised when anything's successful. I don't expect it ever. Uh, I never expect it because I know that's not in my control. All, exactly. all there's so many things have to go right for something to be successful that all happen after I say, okay, let's put it into the world. And then you have a surprise. Yeah. And then whatever happens, happens. And, and usually I'm making something else by that time anyway, and I don't even look back. And let me let me ask you and, and be honest with this. <clears throat> when there's a disappointment, disappointing result of something that you love so much and you put a lot of energy or life or whatever that you love. And there's a disappointing or the reviews. I don't know in the music how the reviews are, if they are really cruel or they are tough. Or have you been exposed to bad reviews or critics? And Absolutely. And now I wrote this book. It's the first time I wrote a book. And I worked on it for eight years. And it's the first thing I've ever put out with my name on the front. Because usually my name's on the back. The artist's name's on the front. Mm. So it's more personal than usual. Yeah, you're exposing now yourself. Absolutely. And, uh, and I'll say it's more personal, even though I don't talk about myself at all in the book. It's personal in that it's uh, how I see the world. Mm -hmm. it's, my, it's very much my perspective. And, um, and I read a, many reviews, some very good, many very good, and some bad. And when I read the bad ones, I just laugh. Because so it's clear the book's not for them. You, do you know what yeah, I'm saying? It's absolutely. like, I don't think everything is for everybody. So there's one person who's saying, you know, I'll read this book every day for the rest of my life. And someone else will say, this is nonsense. Like this is, I want my money back. And, and I love that. And one of the things I say in the book is that the best art divides the audience. It's like, if everyone likes it, yeah, you didn't go far enough. If you really are walking the tightrope, There's going to be a bunch of people who love it and a bunch of people who hate it or don't get it. Otherwise, it's conventional, probably, or, or um, middle of the road. And, and, and did, you, did you read the good and the bad reviews? You, yeah. You, you get it all. Yeah. And, and, and in, but in the albums, for example, has been an album that you put your soul with an artist and suddenly it was not as you expect the result and it, 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 you feel sadness I don't think so. No? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's more just this like, wow, that's how they heard it. That's interesting. And then the next, that's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm always on to the next. I, I, I think that's a wise thing. I think I, I learned, uh, I think especially, in, <sighs> funny enough, in this film that you will see, Bardo, I, I opened myself. And, and that, that's the first film that I have done with, uh, I always said that I have done the other films with my eyes open. And this one I did it with my eyes closed. So I look inside and I took out what I saw and what I felt that was, again, is not at all biographical because who cares about my life? Even I don't care so who, why the people, but there's like very particular uh, 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 things that I have that I have reflect, that I remember, that in a way went through my life, that has been event, emotional events that I fictionalize, but in a way it's a trace of things that in a way are very close to me and the way I see the world, the way I feel the world, the way I experience the way, the, 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 there's a navigation of 
themes like life or death or fear or doubt or parenthood or adolescence or 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 dementia or or to lose somebody or, or, or art and love and you know so there is no stories it's just a walk in the consciousness a walk in 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 the dream of somebody's in a very particular state of mind that you will see so so uh so the first reaction of people sometimes was like, where is the story? Where is the beef? <laughs> I mean, yeah. there, there is, was not rational to, to, to grab from, you know? Uh, uh, like if you are looking for a plot point or first act, second act, there was nothing of that. I was just exploring, trying to be uh, some, some cinematic sound and sight experience to fly with the consciousness of that and feel it. And, it was funny because when people was looking right to, to, to have a rational experience, and there's another book that I love that is called The Master and His Emissary. I don't know if you have read that book. It's, it's an amazing book about a uh, scientific study about that life is perceived completely different. You can understand who are your best friends or the, the wars of the world of countries, collective kind of reactions, depending in the right hemisphere of the brain or the left hemisphere of the brain. And we conceive the world, and depending on which one you are kind of uh, more towards, you construct the life absolutely, absolutely different. That the same thing is absolutely different. <coughs> so I could see the reaction of people that were very left brain side, yeah. rational, trying yeah. to say, what the fuck is this? This yeah. doesn't make sense. This is stupid, this is pretentious, this is narcissistic. This and the other people that, you know, I always invited, I, I, it was funny, in the moment that I learned that, that I felt, okay, well, I understand there's people that are approaching this very rationally and they are demanding a reason of everything, they, they will be irritated and they will be obviously fighting with the film. So I invite in some of the screenings that I went for people to turn off the rational co-pilot and just allow themselves to feel and experience and fly. So I said that. And you I said, said it before the film started. Yes. And I said, please, just I invite you. Don't think about it. There's nothing to think. There's a lot to feel and a lot to laugh and turn off your co-pilot. Do not demand reason to a dream because it's a dream. So to, if you demand reason to a dream, that dream will be fucked. So just Dream with the dream, fly. You can imagine how many people after those screenings uh, thank me yeah. because I give them a, a, a cue and a clue for them to understand. You know, it was just a little guidance. Yes. And it was so important. Yes. They said, if you should not tell me that, I will probably will be fighting with the first 20 minutes. Then their people survive it or not, but it was a difficult kind of thing. Yes. And it was amazing that that little warning thing was enough for them to allow themselves yes. to liberate from the rational mind demanding thing. And then the people love it and they were floating and they were connecting. Okay, the next question I have based on that is, is there a way to visually make that invitation in the beginning of the film? I'm the, I don't mean you out there talking. I don't mean uh, how would, what would we see that would give the audience 
that understanding without you having to say it? I thought that I had done it, but I'm, I'm, I'm now sure that I did not accomplish what I wanted mm. <laughs> and it didn't work uh, uh, because of, of course many people really struggle with that rationalizing of the film and trying to understand it. But the film, if, 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 if the film start with a shadow uh, being projected in the desert and, and you see this shadow it's, it's like if you are standing in the desert with the sun behind you and your long shadow is projected and these shadows start running and then the shadows start flying. So it's a radical point of view from the head and the eyes of somebody that you have not seen actually is you. So it's you become this shadow flying, struggling to go and then land it and, and then walking and then running and then take off again and then again cannot and is trying to fly try to 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 get out of the gravitational kind of thing and he can and and finally the shadow is just above and then suddenly there's a till up and then you see the huge horizon and then there's this long corridor with the sun and there there's this so it's very oniric and very the, the point of view is radical. You have never seen a film start like that. I, mm -hmm. I think it's mm -hmm. one of this is my favorite opening scene of my films by mm. far. But is what I'm telling to the audience is let yourself be in the in this character mind or in your own dreams. And how many times I don't know if you dream that you fly, but I I dream a lot that I fly mm. and I fly that way very low to the ground. Yeah, I don't I don't have flying no? dreams. That's funny. Because a lot, you know, I have seen like, yeah, like 50% of the people. Many people do. So I'm inviting the people with this image to let themselves be that person. I mean, is the shadow projected of whoever wants to take that position and say, okay, go and leave that. But obviously it was not enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting though, isn't it? It's like, we can never know. We can never know what, what, what someone understands or what they don't and whether it's important for them to understand it or not. All those things. I, I saw that scene because I watched the first 20 minutes, as I said, and I thought it was beautiful, but I didn't necessarily understand exactly. the metaphor. Exactly. And, and more than a metaphor, it just like, it's like obviously a, an ornir, yeah, kind of a weird kind of state, but it's not necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily. It did feel dreamlike. It felt like exactly. I didn't understand what was happening. It was, uh, it forced me to pay attention because when you don't when you don't know what's happening you get i, I get more alert mm. you know when when something's all laid out before you something i say a lot is like i don't feel the need to hold the audience's hand and walk them through you know like if they get it they get it if they don't that's fine it doesn't i don't think it really matters. you i think you will enjoy it if you now that you know how to navigate that because the film is i'll not... enjoy it anyway because i i felt like from the first time that i saw Birdman, I had that feeling of, in some ways, the invitation in that one is levitation. Exactly. It's, like the, it's, it's clearly a mind game because he is levitating, Michael Keaton is levitating, and then the camera, if you remember, I start pushing in the camera, and then I arrive to his back. Yeah. You know, you see him full, and I arrive to that. Then, then the computer sound, he turns, and then he stand up, and now he's in his weenies, uh, you know, naked. And and you the, the trick was that you never know if he was floating or not, because then when he stand up, 
Yeah. It's clearly that he was just meditating in his fucking, you know, with his ass in the floor, but he thinks that he's floating. So I make you, I start the game at that moment to say, this is how he feels, but reality is not, but it's not, it's very subtle. So I yes. never really yes, yes, do yes. it very obvious. It's so always subtle as, and I play with you. As much as I love the movie, I didn't know that. And my, <laughs> my takeaway was, wow. I wonder what the reality, what reality is like in this movie. That was my feeling. Exactly. Like I actually more went along. I didn't fight it. I went along with it. It's like, oh, this is a movie where he can, he has special powers. That's cool. Yeah. No, I, 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 I agree with you. But I think that's the important thing because I think it's always very surprising what people taste, what not. Sometimes you fail. I have failed many times to connect or try to make a point and you don't do it. And, and, and try to connect in some way. But I think, again, as we were talking, it's not in our hands. And everybody has their own, depending on where you live, your cultural background, what you have breakfast that morning. And there's people that, in a way, are very obsessed to get what they know already and mm -hmm. what they expect. I always, when I see a film, a new film, I always want to see what film that filmmaker has wanted to do not the one that i wanted to see yeah you know i think Absolutely. that's very important that Absolutely. you suddenly say i want to see what is that film that he wanted to do and and i and i try always to celebrate that kind of thing but then if my mind and i find myself now against the film and that obviously i know that it has to do much more with me than with that guy because oh or that woman or that whatever because obviously they want to make that and connect that now if i get it or not it's not their fault yeah it's my own limitations yeah or my own yeah. or, and I, habits and i don't even think it matters exactly. because it's like if you read a poem you might not have the same interpretation that the poet had when they wrote it you either like it or you don't and you bring your all of yourself the 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 listener the reader brings all of themselves to it. And, and I love that, that uh, conversation between the maker and the, and the uh, audience where you're, in, you're inviting, I feel like you're inviting the audience to participate in this movie. That's, that's the feeling mm -hmm. I got. Mm -hmm. I got the feeling it's like, I, can, I don't know what you're thinking, but I know this is not regular. The mm -hmm. situation's not regular. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what it means, but I'm, I'm excited that it's not regular because I'm I'm ex I'm excited for an exciting journey. You know, like this is going to be an interesting. Where's this going to go? Now, what's going to happen? Exactly, and it's yeah, and I and I think that you know I I try now very very consciously because of that because I cannot control the results. I now deliberately try that what I'm writing, what I'm doing, what I'm shooting. I love it. I make sure that I love it because I know that I'm not a Martian. I know that if I love it, there's going to be a lot of people like me yeah. with my sensitivity, my whatever principles, experience, or whatever is that, that they will respond to that. Because I always said to the young guys that now with the social media and all that, they are terrifying to be accepted, to be, to be liked. <laughs> And how many followers and all that, which I and you never born with that. And the new generations, it's a very terrifying, paralyzing possibility to say, 
you have to be like you have to be and, you, and they make they make decisions based, based on that, that which is insane that's that that's what i now radically i said you know i would like just to i always said that you cannot write a film thinking in an audience o sea I cannot find my audience because the audience is an abstract thought. I don't know who, what is audience. When we always said the masses, it's an abstract thought. The masses for me is a different concept than for you. And I don't know these people. But if I like it, the audiences will find the movie. And, well, you and know it. at least one person likes it. Exactly. And if you're making it with someone else in mind... It's possible nobody likes it. I, I, I completely agree with you. And, and I know that this film and all the films has found the tribe. I said, I yes. have my tribe. Yes. I belong to a tribe. Yes. And, and now, now, now you and I are connected. I absolutely. have the privilege and honor to be with you here because I found that you are part of my tribe. I never thought about you, but a you find the film. A million percent, <laughs> I am in the tribe. And I'm ecstatic. And I'm so happy the tribe exists because I don't feel that connected to so many things. So it's really, uh, it means a great deal to me. I have a bad news for you. Okay. We are a tribe in extinction. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. No, no, do you know what, though? The things that we make are going to inspire someone to make something amazing. Yes. yes. Can't help. Can't I, help it. I, I agree. And honestly, I, I couldn't be more happy. I don't know what happened to you, but maybe the, film, the, 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 the albums that probably has been maybe the less successful commercially are the ones that you feel more proud about it. You know, and this for me, because the tribe get a little bit even more radical and more exquisite. Yeah. No, when <laughs> so, someone comes up and talks to me about something I worked on that other people don't come and talk about, it's always like, really? That's the one that, that spoke as, to you? As, exactly. It's always interesting. Like that, that's a great feeling. To find the, the tribe like, like that is, is fantastic. But I have to say another thing to that, you know what I did this time for, you know, I, I have been doing it, but this time I did it radically. And I'm so glad that I did. I did not read any review. Not the good Great. ones, good. not the bad ones. Great. And let me tell you, it was the most amazing, you know, I was not intoxicated. Exactly. You, yeah, My you, heart you was You made not, the thing you love and you it? freed it out into the world and now it's going to go do its work. Suddenly, Beautiful. Suddenly I felt that if I will be jumping into it, Reading the good ones are the bad ones. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. First of all, it will not change the outcome of the film. Will, no. The film will not be better or bad or no. worse. No. And my heart, I will put my heart in the hands of people. And I said, no, my heart belongs to me and I cannot be. And in that moment, I was so beautiful. liberated it's and beautiful. not intoxicated. It's beautiful. I have to say that if, without that, yes. I think I will be fucked. You know, you know what I mean? No, because it's what the understood. kids now with all the critics in the Instagram, which I don't have. It's exactly. I, I said to the kids, if I will have an Instagram with one million followers and I read what you read, I will kill myself. But for me, it's unconceivable. Sometimes I cannot understand it even. Uh, but, 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 but I'm wrong probably, but it's just for me something that is creating a lot of anxiety in people yes. because I will be anxiety about to be judged every day when I wake up to see what people think about me. So, I mean, but you always have the opportunity to turn to it turn off. off. You know, you you don't have to decide to be the most popular kid in school. <laughs> it's okay. I, I I completely agree. The thing is that, that then sometimes when I have had young people to say I did it, but then I couldn't 
keep doing it because the way my generation communicates and exists is this, and if not, you do not exist. Yeah. You know, so it's yes. now it's becoming a very radical yeah. thing because even access to to everything, to information, to your bank accounts, I mean, like suddenly get out of that is I had actually- a, I had a conversation with a basketball player, one of the Golden State Warriors, serious basketball player, serious team. And he was saying, he's so frustrated that the owners of the team are so insistent that the players spend all their time on social media and that they're always followed by cameras. And he said, it really gets in the way of the game. It's like, we're th I did this because I love basketball. And now all of this other stuff, even from the people who want us to play basketball, the powers that be in basketball want to commodify the long tail of everything else around it. And he's saying, I can't focus. I can't focus on the game. It's all distraction. Wow. It's interesting. Super interesting. You remember this uh, documentary of Jean-Luc Godard about uh, the, 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 the Rolling Stone uh, uh, Sympathy for the Devil? Mm -hmm. uh, you, you remember that uh, yeah, documentary? Yeah. One of the things that was very funny for me to find, once I, I have the, the, the opportunity to meet with Mick Jagger in a party, and I have just seen that. This was like 10 years ago. And I have just seen the, the, the Godard video where, uh, where it was amazing for the people that hasn't seen it. You know, it was incredible. Again, the, the, the sensitivity of Godard to record the process of that song being made in the studio when who will know that that song will become an, uh, a, a mythical song? Like basically one of the most important songs in the rock and roll history. Why he chose that one mm -hmm. and not another one anyway. And, and, the, and obviously he's recording the whole process and the song, how different the song start being, right? Because, I mean, it was, it, a, it started immediately. There was no like the, no, it was a start all full, full instruments. It was much more noisy. It, it was another song. And the camera of Godard and the present of Godard, who was a rock star at that time, obviously start affecting the whole behavior of Keith Richards and Mick Jagger, and they start kind of getting along not very well and all the comments, and they were kind of showing off who was the smartest guy in the room. Mm -hmm. And funny enough, is clearly how the camera was affecting their behavior, personalities, and actually the, the participation in the authorship and the ideas of the of the of the song, which, funny enough, end up being very good. By the way, so, I mean they start stripping out yes. a lot of things, yes. which was very interesting. The chemistry about it, and then at the end, the most the most funny thing for me was when they were now the process has been finished and they will record the song the next day. And Godard said, "I'm done. I'm I'm not gonna shoot." The, the 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 recording of the actually real song. He saw the process. And then that's it. And he didn't want to show the process. So yeah. I have just seen that documentary and I went to a party the next day and I suddenly find out Mick Jagger and I'm a big fan of him. I said, oh, it's a pleasure to meet you, great honor. And we spent like 30 minutes talking about it. And I told him, you know, I have just seen this documentary. It was amazing for me to see that this guy didn't, didn't record, didn't document the, the recording. And he told me an anecdote that I, I, I found it amazing because he said that 
that when Godard said that, all the other members were kind of, we need the camera. <laughs> like like wow. what you were saying, you know, wow. like suddenly when you are being observed and yes. being judged, it, it, it can go either way. You either can be, way. You can become a great, a better person conscious of your actions and yes. suddenly you become aware in yes. a good, positive way. Or you can become a fucking, you know, selfish, self-conscious, uh, pretentious or whatever. It can go either way. So suddenly they felt that they need that. It was almost like, wait a minute, where is the, where is my social media? Where is the, the, the uh, and it becomes a kind of a crisis. And so some of them wanted, some of them not. They yes. start kind of fighting. Uh, and then the producer of of the of the of the documentary was said to Jan-Luc, Jan-Luc, what do you mean that you will not come tomorrow? Tomorrow is the ending of the whole thing. We have been here for two weeks or whatever. No, I just want the process. Wait a minute. And they start fighting. And he, Mick Jagger told me that suddenly he said, are you fucking crazy? I'm paying this fucking thing. You will document the whole thing. No, I don't want to. I, I know what I know. And they start fighting, fist fighting in the, in the studio. And they were rolling bloody nose and Godard hitting the producer. The producer said, you're an asshole. I will cancel that. And the Rolling Stones just seeing these two guys fighting and Godard defending his concept that he knew very well that that was it. That's it. That's enough. And the other guy thinking in the money saying, no, you have to fucking have the result. And he didn't. They fight. They blood and everything. And that's the end of the story, which I found was fascinating. Absolutely. Especially the thing that I didn't know, that some of the guys wanted the fucking camera to keep with that kind of stamina mm -hmm. and, and adrenaline. And then fucking Godard putting the limits of his principles, which was the principle is the process, not the end result. I don't care about the end result, which is fascinating. Absolutely. Right? And I feel sometimes when I have done, I always laugh when I go to a TV show or something, one, one of those programs that are like a TV I always laugh that the the host uh, and sometimes they are really nice people and very normal and they arrive and say how are you Alejandro uh, I love this and how are you doing and how is your wife or whatever kind of personal thing and they are very kind of nice and quite normal and it's only okay cameras rolling and then when the cameras are uh, hello friends we are here this is Friday morning and we have Alejandro. And suddenly he said, it, it, the, the, he become another person, loud and completely artificial. And then he brought me to this thing that I have to suddenly start dealing with somebody that I was so nicely. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that happened in a second. It's a transformation with the camera rolling uh, action. At good, you goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's something, though, that um, prof professional actors can overcome. I mean, again seeing Thomas Hardy and seeing Leo in, yeah. in Revenant, it doesn't look like they're concerned about the cameras. No, no, it's 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 something that I don't know how the actors do it or the actresses, you know, like people like uh, Kate Blanchett or Sean Penn, I remember in 21 Grams that you mentioned, he was doing a guy that is dying from a lung cancer and, you know, and he's you know, barely walking with fucking oxygen in the thing and he... You know, you, you put the camera, I remember that Rodrigo Prieto, my DP and I, the first scene, that was my first American movie, the first scene that I shot was Sean walking in his apartment, you know, struggling with some little kind of thing with his oxygen and barely can walk and breathing with a little... 
and okay, camera roll. And I was so excited to see in the screen to Sean. I said, I'm shooting fucking Sean Payne. And he was, okay, action. And he was just walking and doing it perfect. I mean, it was wow. like, like fucking, wow. like if you said to uh, Miles Davis, you know, okay, rolling and Miles. I mean, it was like just to hear one of those, you say, it's per it cannot be better. How incredible is that? So is that sensation? I said, oh my God, I look at that. And suddenly, okay, cut. And, so, and I'm telling you that scene or one that he was just crying or shouting, whatever, and then cut. And in some moment, the guy just, you know, straight up, started smiling, making a joke, having a fucking smoke, telling me some anecdote of her, blah, 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 blah. Okay, okay, ready, ready, great, rolling, take an action. And so many, look, that fruit full of life and, you know, soul and soulful and life. The eyes, and suddenly the eyes were death. Wow. The I mean, it was like a magic. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. It's I, unbelievable. I couldn't, I cannot understand how they can do that. I love that you fought for it. That's huh? great. We well, had to. No, no. Because you understood. Mean, mean. Uh, you know, it's all, all, always the notes normally. And I agree. I, I would use, I mean, when somebody give me a good note, a good idea, it's I, great. I'm thirsty for that. Absolutely. I, mean, I love that. Absolutely. I cannot celebrate more. It's just when somebody doesn't understand, then that's the problem. Well, my friend, has been a pleasure, Karen. Beautiful conversation. <laughs> I love um, sharing the space with you and seeing where seeing where it goes. Well, thank you very much, Carmen. It has been a pleasure to meet you. 